McDonald's podcast? Can we? Can we? I don't see why we couldn't. I mean, just go set up these mics just, with our computers. Just and... get some little microphones in our computer and just sit, like just sit up wherever we want to and go. Hey, this is Calvary Coffee Hour in town. back to this week's episode we uh we are taking a break from kind of the more heavy spiritually ishness stuff with this week's episode we thought uh we'd let you guys get to know us a little bit more i say let you guys that's kind of like a, you have the honor and the privilege uh that's not really what we're trying to do but we just want things to be a little more personal let you guys know more about us and uh so today we are going to spend some time talking about music. Um, music is a fun one for us. So as you're tuning in, we hope that you are tuning out music as we talk about music so that you can then maybe listen to new music or probably just go, Hey, these guys are crazy and I'm not going <laughs> to listen to any advice they ever have to say from this point forward. That's not our hope, but, uh, who knows what could happen. Um, but with that, just a couple of reminders too, to let you guys know this episode is going to air on, uh, May the 11th. And so when it airs, we will be having some things coming up of like our fish fry is going to be happening on May 22nd. We also have movie in the park on May 21st. So don't forget that, uh, those things are happening and we want you guys to be involved in those things. If you have questions about wanting to be involved in that just call us here at the office, we would love to get you guys set up on that. But, uh, yeah, so Travis and I have actually gone back and forth about this week's topic. We've had some really good questions get brought up that we will probably explore a little bit more in the next couple of weeks, but we our brains are toast. Mother, I don't know what it is about Mother's Day. Mother's Day to me is just as tiring as like Christmas or really? Or like yeah, like so like Easter service. I was actually I had more energy after Easter service than I did Mother's Day. Why do you think that is? I, I don't know. I just, Mother's Day seems so weird. Like Father's Day does the same thing though. Hmm. Like when I do Father's Day, it's like, oh, I just want to take a nap. Like this is crazy. See, but, I feel like there's like a, I don't know, a weight just from the expectation around like Christmas and Easter because they're more tied into our faith. Yeah. And then it's like the cultural holidays, not that they're not important, but, you know, there's no, like, biblical command about Mother's Day. You know, we did our photo booth, and there were some cool gifts given out, and it was great, but I don't, I don't feel like the weight of, like, Easter. See, I, I don't know what it is. It wears. So, but then I thought, like, yesterday when I woke up, because yesterday was Mother's Day, when I woke up, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Mother's Day. I don't know how. And then I was sitting there thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Like Western Christianity is about the only group that puts a focus on Mother's Day on Sunday morning in the church. Like everybody else is like silly Americans and their Mother's Days. Yeah, well, and even when you say Western, I'm pretty sure it's like a Protestant, Protestant. only. <laughs> you don't think anybody else is jumping in going, oh man, let's jump in on that Mother's Day train. Like that sounds like it's fun. I mean, I don't know a ton of Roman Catholics or... Um, 
don't know. I, don't, I feel like even like the high church, like Anglicans and even like Presbyterians probably don't put as big of an emphasis as say we in the Baptist world do. So do you think it's just our desire to draw people in where we're like, oh, hey, if we really blow this up, do you think it's that? Or Because I mean, I, I feel like you got more people that'll show up on Mother's Day than you do Easter. And partly because mom called mom wants you at church. Yeah. It's Mother's Day. You feel obligated. Easter, you're like, no, mom, I don't believe in that stuff. But when it's mom's day and mom wants to go to church. All right. Yeah, mom, you do we'll what go. mom wants. You do what mom wants. I did see quite a few guests yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of faces. I was like, you're here for mom. Yep. You know, um, which is fine. Uh, mother's day is a neat idea and it's fun to celebrate our wives and our moms. And yeah, I'm not hating on it at all. Yeah. I'm just, it's just, it's interesting to me that it like, I don't know, it, it didn't like weigh on me or I feel like anything I did, from the church perspective. I feel like I did more preparation for Mother's Day than I did Easter. I know that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Like when I say it out loud, it's like, oh, Charles, <laughs> did, did we bomb Easter? Did we bomb Easter? <laughs> no, no, Paul just did most of it. No, we didn't bomb Easter. We can't say bomb on a podcast, I don't think. Can you? Can we? I don't know. I don't know. It's free speech. I never read the Apple terms and conditions. We'll just put it on Twitter. Um, <laughs> we, Twitter won't care. We have to wait till Elon yeah. takes over. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter won't care. Um, but it has been... Mother's Day was fun. It was interesting and it was nice kind of having a Sunday where we didn't have to try to come back to church and, and do things again. We got to... At our house, we got to grill out and have steak and um, all the, whatever mom wants, you know, mom gets. And so that was fun. And it's nice seeing the kiddos uh, get presents from mom. And so anyway, that's not really what we're here to talk about mom's day. Um, Maybe on father's day, we can talk about why we are the most important things and we need special days to ourselves. Go back to smoking meat in world war two history, world war two history on (laughs) father's day. We're We're just world war two planes. That's what we're going to do. Um, but we thought we'd talk about music a little bit today and music is something that is fun for us because um, I think one of the affinities that Travis and I have is in relationship to our various musical likes and dislikes. Um, I would say Travis is probably a little more eclectic in his music than I am. There's very uh, few like genres that I don't like. Yeah, and, and I can... I can be very clear about what I do yeah, and do not like. You're a little more yeah, focused on... I mean, I basically don't like rap. Anything else just about is fair game. Yeah. I, I Anyway, so music is... Music was... So when we talk about music, one of the things is when I was in... Uh, I remember growing up, I got my first CD player. That was... I mean compact discs when those were a thing i, I remember those and uh like, wait like a big box or like one of the portable n- ones no like a big boom box okay. like yeah so my sister got one and i was super jealous and she was uh she would get stuff like the band poison like she would get yeah. some of that she had that like subscription too where you pay so much money and then you get cds mailed to you um so she'd have some of that she also listened to like new kids on the block she had new kids on the block on tape <clears throat> Um, but I was really jealous cause I was like, man, she's got this cool radio. I don't have nothing. And we had like one contemporary modern music station in our area that came to us from like Jonesboro, Arkansas. And I remember this boombox had a feature 
where you could turn the radio on and then hit uh, record on a tape and you could record like 30 minutes worth or whatever of music. So at night when it was bedtime and I couldn't listen to music when I was going to sleep, I would turn the volume down low, but I'd turn the radio on and I'd hit record. And so the next day I'd be like, oh, what did I catch? You know, <laughs> then the fun part was it was a, it was a two bay. So you had like one tape here and one tape here. You could go back and put your tape that you just recorded in the other one and then hit record over, listen to the songs, but then you skip all the commercials. And so mm. you would stop it and then start it. And like, so you're, you're making mixtapes. Yeah. Which is what we did. So I, that's how, that's my era. I'm a mixtape era. Yeah. I guess I was a little bit after you. I mean, I would say so. I mean, we're only what, eight <laughs> years apart. Yeah. Um, that's how much technology changed in eight years. I mean, my family had like a big CD player in our living room. I don't think it had that capability or if it did, I don't remember it or didn't use it. But I remember I got to borrow from my aunt and uncle. We were doing like a family road trip to the San Antonio area, see some family. And uh, I got to borrow like a portable CD player. Yeah. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever because I knew we were about to go on this car ride that, you know, when I was like 10 felt like forever. Yep. And borrowed some old like classic rock CDs and just the ability to like I can listen to this but like my parents don't have to and we're in the same car like that yep. was mind blowing and then I don't remember how old I was when I got my first iPod but I got an iPod mini and you know that was you know pre-touch screen you had the little wheel little thing that wheel you had scroll, to, yeah. yeah and it's like it could hold like 2,000 songs which I thought was just insane out of this world and today that's like nothing yeah you know forget about touch screens and all that but like i don't know i remember thinking the ipod mini was the coolest thing ever well i i remember so like i remember my buddies when i really started getting into the music genre that i would i would say kind of really has influenced me a lot musically um because before when i got my first cd player my parents got me the best of clay walker so it's like country old country yeah yeah not, yeah and then also the best of Michael W. Smith, which okay. I thought was very interesting. Um, and so that was kind of like my only two CD selections. Like I didn't really get to have <laughs> was much it? else. Yeah. And, but then my friends were listening to other music, especially when we got up into like, you know, junior high year, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Um, there was a big push of influence in my town of, of kids that were in a church and that youth pastor at the time listened to a lot of like underground kind of indie emo hardcore. And so they started getting into that stuff and they would make me CDs of it. But that all kind of started like ninth grade. So in ninth grade, I went to a show. Um, so if we say show, we mean like, like a concert. Um, but in, in scene world, you just call it a show. And Cause it was tiny and there was like, yeah. 20 people there yeah some local bands yeah well this was at the gymnasium at my home church and the youth pastor brought him in and it was a band out of tennessee named cool hand luke so obviously named after the movie um and i remember going to that show i was in like i still was trying to figure out who i was so like i'm there in a shirt like a button down shirt, some jeans, like some Doc Martens. Like I don't even know what I'm trying to accomplish with my <laughs> life at this point. 
but I remember buying their mixtape because I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, I remember buying their mixtape and it was called Demo Schmemo. And it was just four songs on a tape. I think I still have it at my house. And uh, then my buddy, and I bought a shirt. And then my buddy was like, dude, there's way more than just this. I was like, oh, well, by all means, please. So then I got a mixtape of a band called Esso Karis, which was also out of Arkansas. Um, and they were a hardcore band. And I was like, okay, this is very violent. Kind of like it. <laughs> uh, but at the end of that was a, a, a song by the band called Juliana Theory. Uh, from uh, not emotions is not emotion uh, not emotion is dead, but it's the one before that. Anyway, I was like, that's cool too. So anyway, it that whole shift, like ninth grade year, yeah, is what shifted me into listening to a lot of like the punk. rock, hardcore, punk, emo type stuff. So were you playing any instruments at this point? No, or you were just observing and listening and yeah. Just observing and listening and trying to figure out and scaring the fire out of my parents. Yeah. I mean, like parents obviously were scared. So what happened though is the the transition for me in the music world, I had my little boom box and it was great. Well, it started to go bad and I was like, man, this stinks. Well, my dad had an old Marantz tuner, like an old like hi-fi type tuner that he wasn't using anymore. He's like, well, you can have that if you want it. Sweet. So I hooked up as many speakers as I could to this thing <laughs> and it had an input. So I had my Sony Walkman, my little like CD player, and that's what I would use. So I'd use my little Sony Walkman, plug it into the Marantz and just blare music as loud as I could in my house. And my parents were like, what kind of demon possession has come over our son? <laughs> um, and rightfully so. But yeah, I wasn't playing any instruments or anything. I was just going to shows, buying up albums, CDs, demos, whatever I could get. And back then too, it was interesting. You could go to a show that was a little more publicized and each band kind of had their own street team and you could sign up to be a part of the street team and they would send you like, Hey, this is a two song kind of sample. If you're going to a show, like head this, like hand this out to people as you see them. And so when we talk about like underground music, we're, we're talking very limited distribution a lot of times these are record labels that their buddy has started out of their garage. Um, and yeah, they, record label is a strong word there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, Hey man, I'll, uh, I'll be a record label for you. It's like, what, well, what does that mean? It's like, we, well, we recorded in somebody's closet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I bought like a four track recorder and we'll just record on that. And then, so, and, and that was kind of how a lot of bands I think started out. Um, especially when you're just trying to figure it out now, with technology we have now for a couple hundred dollars, you can buy something that you can plug into your computer. You can record a 30 track album with 30 instruments, each track and do it all yourself from the comfort of your dorm room, you know? Yeah. Especially if you have an Apple computer with GarageBand. Yeah. You don't even really need anything crazy. You just need to be able to plug into it and go. But back then, I mean, things were a little more complicated. Yeah. We still had some bands that were recording on reel-to-reels. So you still had some that were recording on tape. And there was one band I almost went back and bought their original masters because you could buy it. And I was like, that would be just cool to have. But I didn't. Um, but I remember the Cool Hand Luke show. And then I didn't really do a lot of shows after that. But then I started getting invited to other shows. Um, and there were little bands that would come through Batesville, Arkansas. Not much but little bands. And then we would usually drive to Jonesboro, Arkansas or Little Rock. Uh, there's, a, there's a pizza place, a pizza bar in Little Rock called Vino's. 
Vino's was the spot. Like bands were coming through there all the time. And then there was a church that had bought out an old movie theater and they would bring in bands. Uh, but yeah. So that was kind of like me though in, I guess, junior high and then coming into high school. When I started driving on my own, I remember telling Melina, we had open campus, which means I could leave at lunchtime and go get food and then come back. My parents would give me like 20 bucks a week, which was a lot. I mean, think about how much a taco was then. Oh, yeah. A taco Bell. You know, I could get like 300 tacos, it seemed like. <laughs> as a stretch but uh i would go home and eat and then i would save my money <laughs> and i'd go to the record store and i'd buy an album or i'd order one or something like that just so i could have and i still have a lot of those records today like they're all or albums they're still stuck in the nice in the back so i mean yeah. vinyl wasn't a thing for us then we had tapes and we had cds and yeah. that was the People extent had moved on from vinyl which ironically is now back but well, I mean, think about it. When you have the ability to stream whatever you want when you want to, and you want a physical copy of something, why go with a CD when you can have, you know, usually a richer format in vinyl? But the other issue is people also don't want to pay the higher end on their needles or on their things like that. So they still get like mediocre sound mediocre quality. Sounding <laughs> quality, but they're like, oh, I have the vinyl of that. So yeah. anyway. Yeah, no, but, that's just a collector's thing now. But what but, about you? I mean, so my story is a little different. I got into music <laughs> so this is kind of funny um did you ever know what the amanda show was on nickelodeon i I've, i heard about the amanda show okay, it was really it was yeah. ridiculous but there was this segment i think it was called totally kyle and it was drake <laughs> bell if you know who that yeah. is who would dress up like a surfer guy and then he'd play some little like lead guitar lick on a telecaster or stratocaster or something yeah and like that was kind of like my parents weren't super big into music, like ever. Yeah. Um, like it was never just on in the house or car or whatever. Like, um, so it was watching the Amanda show and this stupid little segment with this young guy trying to look like an old hippie playing like surfer rock and he'd shred some little itty bitty like 10 second solo. Yeah. And I just thought like that was the coolest instrument ever. Like, cause I guess, <laughs> you know, I'm not hating, but most of the music that I had been exposed to, like, you know, from birth to 10 years old or whatever was just church music, yeah. which growing up in a traditional service was piano, organ, choir. And so to see this guy playing an electric guitar solo, like I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So I think it was on my 12th birthday. My parents bought me some just like starter electric guitar. Um, and it came with like a terrible amp and everything and started taking lessons and when I got that guitar and was like, no, like this is going to be something I do. Um, one of my uncles was a huge Van Halen fan nice. in the, you know, late seventies through the eighties. And he burned me a, a CD of every Van Halen album. Nice. So I think at that point I had my own like portable CD player and every Van Halen CD. And I think my parents bought me like a casting crown CD or something, you know, <laughs> Christian. Um, but I just like would listen to these Van Halen CDs and I was like, I don't even understand how, and this was, you know, even months, a couple years after taking a lesson, it's like, how in the world does Eddie Van Halen make these sounds from his guitar? <laughs> um, so I started out on classic rock. So anything from the Beatles to Nirvana, kind of that 60s to early 90s. Like grunge rock? 
yeah, I mean, I, I liked, um, I mean, Nirvana's probably the most famous from the grunge scene, but um, really more like 60s, 70s, 80s was more my jam. Yeah. Um, really liked Van Halen just because of the guitar work. Um, grew to really like the Eagles for a little softer uh, Steve Miller band. Um, trying to think who else. Led Zeppelin is still musically probably my favorite band. Yeah. Like just the drums and guitar work. Like they do funky things where the drums and guitar are playing in two different time signatures that only match up every 12 bars and like just crazy creative stuff that um, you don't see a lot of anymore. Um, seeing like Jimmy Page play guitar solos with the violin bow and stuff. It's like, what are you doing? And I don't know how you make these sounds, but it's awesome. That's awesome. So, so I grew up on, on more of the classic rock stuff. And how I got into the heavier stuff, like what you're talking about, more emo punk, rock, hardcore, that scene. Um, at one point, you know, I guess I was still junior high, high school age. My dad didn't love a lot of the, the music that I was listening to, especially uh, Guns N' Roses had some lyrical content that I did not quite understand at that age. Oh, yeah. Growing up in a fairly sheltered home. So... He like set me down at one point and was showing me some of the lyrics and like what they were talking about. He's just like, I don't think this is, you know, the most wholesome thing for you to be listening to. So I lost my Guns N' Roses CD and I think an ACDC CD, um, which I was mad about, you know, typical teenage. Like, <laughs> yeah. my parents don't let me do anything cool. And uh, me. Like, have you listened to this Casting Crown CD? Like, there's no guitar solos in this. Uh, yeah. So I had a friend knowing that this had happened i think he gave me a the devil wears parada cd oh yeah it's like oh it's a christian band and so my parents hear this like screaming and when i say screaming i mean like screamo like it's literal yelling yeah and <laughs> like the guitars are like way heavier than you know classic rock even like the heavy people for classic rock and i think they were terrified it's like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, it's a Christian band. Like, <laughs> look at the lyrics. Uh, there's nothing bad in these lyrics. And there's less so, misogyny in this in these lyrics. So I started listening to them. August Burns Red, Emery. Um, who else? I mean, I got into heavier stuff, even like uh, Demon Hunter, Impending Doom. Oh man, Impending Doom was hard for me. Yeah, no, they're. They're the heaviest band that I think I know. It was the pig squeal. I couldn't get past the pig squealing. There was one part when I was in college, I was working in the Christian Life Center at First Baptist, and I thought I was the only one there, and they were having a deacon's meeting that I didn't know about, and I was like blaring and pending doom while I was mopping the floor. <clears throat> and then they all came out and were just looking at me. I was like, oh, you probably think I'm like not saved listening to this music. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... So that was, I guess, heavier, and then I kind of got softer. I started listening to, or I, I got into punk music in a roundabout way because a friend of a friend knew of this band called A Hero Unnoticed who had just lost their bass player, and they were like, hey, these guys are like looking for somebody who can play bass, and at the time, I was playing bass at First Baptist. Um, just on a whim, there's a whole funny story of how I started playing bass because... I never took a bass lesson in my life. I never even owned a bass. I had to borrow my brother's every Sunday that I played because I refused to pay for one. Um, and so this friend of a friend was like, hey, there's this band. They're like looking for a bassist for the show. Do you think you could do it? 
and I was like, you know, punk's not really my thing. Um, I kind of thought punk music was like whiny. Yeah. Compared to like metal is like, of course it's if, more nasally. Yeah. It was like, if you're going to, if you're going to be, you know, kind of angry in your music, like scream, don't whine think, about it. When you think punk music, you're like green day and Billy Joe Armstrong was very, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're just like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, after a while, that's going to kill me. Yeah. That, or, you know, blink 182 or, yeah. so I wasn't really into the whole punk thing, but I was like, you know, I'll help this band out. Why not? And so I went to their practice, which was at First Christian Church here in town. Yeah. And I uh, met this guy named Thomas and another guy named Raleigh, who was the drummer. And it was just a three-piece. And we went and played this little show in Texarkana. And it was... I, I don't remember what exactly it was for. It was something sort of similar to our Blueberry Festival. Like, it was not like a typical punk show. Like, it yeah. was just a show you you weren't supposed to be there yeah it was like no one there liked the music but then they called me like two weeks later and they're like hey we got another show this one's in tyler um we still haven't found a bassist do you want to play and i didn't even like their music yeah just being honest and they know this um they're both still friends to this day um but at the texarkana show in the middle of it and i had no idea this was going to happen um you know, we were playing the, the songs and they're kind of aggressive. It's a little more yelling than the nasally screaming. Yeah. And Thomas, who was the guitar and vocalist, um, just stopped in the middle and started sharing his testimony. And he talked about uh, just things that he experienced growing up, things that his friends had gone through, and then like how he came to know the Lord and found healing through a lot of things. And I, like I said, didn't know this was going to happen. And so even though I didn't like the music, I was like, hey, that was that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so they called me and they're like, hey, we got another show in two weeks. Like, can you fill in again? I was like, I already know the songs, you know, punk music's three chords usually. Like, yeah. it's not hard. So I was like, sure, why not? Like, you shared your testimony. It's kind of like an outreach to that population. Yeah. Why not? So the second show we played was more of like what you're calling like a show, a scene show. Yeah. Um. So there was like some metalcore bands and some hardcore bands. And, you know, I remember we were playing and we got to like the first sort of like breakdown, I guess, for our pop punk genre. And uh, the room just lit up. I mean, like people were throwing fists and throwing chairs and everybody was like (laughs) moshing. And, you know, I had seen like YouTube videos of like, yeah, Guns N' Roses and Metallica and like some of that I was like oh yeah like this is heavy but I had never seen anything like this and then I had this sort of weird realization like oh they're doing this because like we're playing these notes in this like chugging pattern and like yeah. it's aggressive and these people are angry and um, someone who's actually a member of this church was at that show and got into a fist fight Golly. Uh, so I was like borderline terrified Um there was another fight that broke out. This was like a two-story building in downtown Tyler. And when we were like leaving, putting all our gear up, somebody threw someone else's head through a window and like the glass shattered and fell all over me. <laughs> and it was like, it was rough. But the interesting thing was Thomas did the same thing. Like I I thought he might change sort of what he said because of the who was in the crowd and he didn't change anything. And so he just shares his testimony with all these guys. And it was really interesting to me how receptive people there were. Yeah. Because, like, my preconceived notions is, like, oh, these people would not all be accepting or 
receiving of any yeah. sort of gospel presentation. But they really were. Like they really listened when he opened up about his struggles and and everything. So um after that show they were like, Hey, do you just like you wanna be in the band? <laughs> and <laughs> at this time, like I still didn't like the music. Like it wasn't my thing. But I liked the sort of missional aspect. And I was like, okay, you got to define what pop punk is for me. Cause like, <laughs> I don't even know what you mean when we say we're a pop punk band. And so they're like, go listen to taking back Sunday and brand new. Yeah. And some bands like that. And so as I thought about it as like a missions opportunity, the music finally grew on me and I actually really like punk. That's, and that's the interesting thing I think people don't understand like about a lot of, and I've heard I heard all the arguments, so it's not it's not like anybody can come to me with an argument that I haven't heard before. Um, like I remember going to youth camps, youth retreats, listening to Zayo, like oh, yeah. over loudspeakers, uh-huh. and getting called down by deacons saying that I was a devil worshiper. <laughs> um, this is where Zayo was who they are now. Um, same thing like Emory before they who they are now. Um, and what I found was you had a scene that was very missional minded. I think a lot of these guys, a lot of these bands were very missional minded, had very good intentions starting off. Um, to me, it was an alternative to contemporary Christian music. Now I, if you're around me for more than five minutes and we start talking about music, you understand that I can easily dog a lot of contemporary Christian music. Um, and it's not that I don't see it has value. Like my wife grew up on contemporary Christian music. She's like, if it wasn't for contemporary Christian music, I wouldn't, uh, I am not a CCM fan. I'm just not. It's a lot of times shallow and boring. And so I don't really, <laughs> I don't really like it in that. I would rather listen to hymns. I think a lot of times than contemporary Christian music. I think a lot of hymns have a little bit more, uh, urgency and value to them, but that's just me. But when it came to like the scene, what I noticed was you had a group of people who were not just there for the music, but they were there for that commonality and that brotherhood kind of mentality, you know, that, that camaraderie that kind of comes with being together. Um, there's an energy at those shows that you can't experience going to like a big concert somewhere. Um, you're, I mean, a lot of times we were at, like at Vino's, we were in a room that was probably like, I would say maybe 20 by 40. I mean, we're not talking big and it's big brick walls, concrete all the way around. So it's not like this professional setup. You got speakers hanging up. There's some dude that they've hired for the day, like in the back, you know, I went to a show one time for $5 and it was five different hardcore bands for $5. <laughs> Show started at five. It didn't end till like midnight. Excuse me. Ugh, I'm burping this coffee. Sorry. It's Ethiopian today, by the way. <laughs> and um, and so I remember going to these shows and golly, you're like, man, this is nuts. This is wild. This is crazy. I remember in one of those shows, we went and saw Me Without You, which they're on their kind of last final, 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 final tour. And they've been through so many different things. But at that time, like there's very good Christian values and undertones in a lot of their music. And I remember a lot of times you go to like a big show, you pay like $200 for a ticket to these big concert venue type things. And you never see the artist ever. 
Like they're always in their tour bus or they're backstage in their green room. Then they come out to their show and then they leave. If you run into him, you better have like a VIP pass or something like that. And these shows, the artists are there just hanging out with you. Like they're watching the show with you or they're at their merch table or they're doing something. Um, I remember me without you, Aaron Weiss, the lead vocalist is playing pinball in this place. And he loved every time he would come in, he would go to that pinball machine, just play and play and play and play. And this band's from Pennsylvania. They were touring all over the place, usually in the back of a 15 passenger van with a trailer. You know, that was, that was kind of the standard like thing. And I remember, uh, talking to him one day he was at the line as we were coming in we're like Aaron we noticed that in this song you changed the lyrics on the recording from this to what you had written like online because we go to their websites online here he's like yeah I was like hey what if you just sang the original lyrics just for fun today he's like let me think about it so he does like he's up there and he does that for us you know and then at one point the band is playing me without you is a very eccentric man I love them but they're they're playing the band's up there just jamming you don't see aaron the vocalist he goes out the side door of vino's like right off the stage and you just don't see him like i don't know where he's at he had walked down the sidewalk downtown little rock gone into the front of vino probably just saying hey to everyone you know hey how are you hey how's it going oh is your pizza good you know all that stuff band is still playing we're all jamming in the back next thing i know behind me here he is behind me starting the lyrics to the next song and he's working his way back up to the front of the stage. We're pushing him back up to the front of the stage and he's getting up there and, and doing his thing. So what I loved is the scene provided for me this atmosphere of music that was less about, was less about entertainment and more about participation. And I think that's what you got in a lot of, in a lot of these shows, you felt like you were a part of the band that was up there playing. Uh, you felt like your energy was matching their energy. You felt like those things were happening. And I think that's what drew me in because it, and I think that's also kind of like my thing with church too. Like I think that people unknowingly can be entertained by worship at church and not so much participating in worship at church. I grew up in a music scene that was very much involved it was yep. not, you know, you're, you're there. That band is looking at the crowd and they're going, okay, you guys are moshing everywhere. You're doing this. Let's hype it up. Like, let's get this next song going. Let's make it. I mean, they're not. Yeah. I'm blanking on his name, but the guy from the chariot. The oh, vocalist. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, what's his name? What's his name? Scoggins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh. Josh. Josh right? Scoggins. Yeah. yeah. So he'd always start the show. He's like, this mic is your mic. This stage is your stage. Yeah. I mean, half the time they wouldn't even use the stage. They'd set up in the middle of the floor and. You know, just yeah. be with the crowd. But yeah, it was very involved. That was like the cherry was one of the wildest shows I've ever seen. I've seen them at Cornerstone. Uh and and they had even said at one point, they're like, Hey, uh, pray for our guitarist, man. So show last night, we think he may have broke his leg. We're not sure, but he's here today. <laughs> like he's going and he went bonkers. Like, um, and people look at it and they're like, Oh, that's ridiculous. Like that's so terrible. But and, and again, I've heard every argument where they're like, how can you listen to that and still love Jesus? Like, that's one of the things that I get a lot. And I'm like, have you watched the documentary Forget Not on the Chariot? It's on YouTube. No. I, well, no, no. Is that the one where they play at the house and then Josh Scoggins jumps off the roof of the house? No. So on their farewell tour, I know what you're talking about, but they did a yeah. farewell tour 
And then they had some guy like come and do like a documentary and they explained like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's the one that drove around in like the camper yeah, van yeah. and followed uh-huh. the, followed their tour van or tour bus around in the camper van. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's interesting for anyone who, I mean, I doubt anybody who listens to this will like the chariot, but I was having coffee with some college 68. students. 68 is also a good one. I was having coffee with some college students last Friday. We were going through a, a Bible study and one of them asked before we started if I knew who Demon Hunter was. And I was like, yeah, my old youth minister, David Reed, gave me a Demon Hunter CD when I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. And, uh, and then we started talking about like Christian metal bands and uh, this was Colton Wicker I was talking to. I was like, do you know about the chariot? He was like, no. And I was like, let me see your phone. And I like downloaded a couple albums on his Apple Music. It's like, go listen to these. Yeah. So. It's it's very interesting how there's and there's people out there that I think are afraid to jump into those genres. And it wasn't always for me. It wasn't always hardcore music. I think like through high school, definite hardcore music like uh, Zayo, Esoteris, Hopes Fall. Um, and then you had I didn't really get into Demon Hunter much. I was more into the like if you, it, if you had made it to a like a more renowned label, I usually didn't. But Demon Hunter was still pretty good. And then you had, uh, oh gosh, there was a band out of Jonesboro that we loved called The Last Farewell. We always wanted to go see them. Um, we had a couple of hardcore bands around where I was, but I mean, we were going to shows all the time. In fact, like Norma Jean. Yeah. Before they were Norma Jean, they were Ludacris, and then they changed the name because of Ludacris <laughs> the rapper. But um, even like listening to them, that was Josh Scoggin, Scoggin's like kind of first rodeo on that one. And just, all of the energy that was around it. Living Sacrifice was out of Little Rock, so we were watching them a lot. Um, and we were friends with a lot of these guys too. A lot of the guys that were just trying to make it in that scene or they were local, we were friends with them. Like we could show up and be like, oh, hey, what's up, man? Like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. How's the how's the band going? How's this going? How? So it wasn't like you were just there watching a band. You were usually hanging out with people that you knew. Um, but I still remember to this day, we had gone to a show and I think we were watching Living Sacrifice or something. And me and my buddy Zach uh, went and met with one of our friends from kind of South Arkansas. I think we were in college or high school, one or two. And we were hungry after the show. So we're like, oh, let's go to McDonald's. So the McDonald's was closed. So we went to the drive-thru. And then we parked in their parking lot and we sat. And he's like, oh, man, have you guys heard American football? And I was like, no. He's like, oh, you have to. And so he opens up his car door. Turns it on, turns it on accessory because that's what we do, you know. And he puts in an American football CD, and we're like, "Are you kidding me right now? Like this is amazing." Um, even so, like I think it was like four or five years back, Melina asked me what I wanted to do for my birthday, and I said American football is playing in Dallas, and I want to go to that. So we went to that show. She was like, "I don't understand this culture at all." And I was like, "Don't worry, <laughs> it's just a bunch of us old guys that grew up watching, listening to American football, and we're doing it anyway." So it wasn't always hardcore music for me. Like there was some punk, like I'd listen to bands like Slick Shoes or uh, Dogwood or even ska bands like Fire and Frenzy, uh, Supertones, things like that. But um, but I really started getting into more like the emo stuff. And I'm not talking like screamo, like we talk about. Before we move on to that funny yeah. story. So the the band A Hero Unnoticed that I was in for a, a brief stint Um we did like one tour while I was with them. And uh, the very first show was up near Fort Worth yeah. of this tour. And I did not know that ska was a thing. Really? Like had never heard oh, of ska, ska so or ska band. Fun. And so 
there was a ska band. And I think they were actually the first band of the, the night that played. And they get up there, and for those that don't know, ska is... It's got a lot of punk elements, but then there's usually like a horn section. Yeah. So like there's three guys. I think it was like a trumpet, a trombone and a saxophone or something. And they're like playing these like what would I would typically think be like the electric guitar lead lines, but through a horn section. And they've got yeah. all these weird like horn harmonies and stuff. And it was the weirdest thing. But oh, yeah, yeah. Scott's super fun. Well, and, and for people who want to know what Scott is, probably the more prominent ska that came out in the late 90s early 2000s was the mighty mighty boss tones um so they had a pretty popular song there for a while um but yeah so like i would i would watch five iron frenzy with my friends i remember one show we were in pine bluff arkansas i think and my buddies were like hey five iron frenzy and bleach are going to be playing at this church in arkansas i'm like let's go which the band bleach was probably the closest like more alternative kind of Christian band that I would normally listen to. And that was one of the most fun shows. Like they're, they're just some fun dudes that have great energy, just a great stage presence. Um, we would watch bands that were just no names too. Like we would go to a show and be like, Oh, okay. Like this band sounds kind of cool. You know, you get on mp3.com. We'd be like, Oh, neat. And so we would just go to random shows sometimes just to kind of see if a band and then be like, oh, that was terrible, you know? Um, but I, I can't even begin to list how many shows I've been to. Uh, we would find out about a show in college and it would be like three o'clock. Show wouldn't start till like eight. It was two hour drive to Little Rock. Be like, hey guys, after dinner tonight, do you guys want to go? Yeah. So we'd load up in my Cavalier, like four or five of us, and we'd drive down to Little Rock, Arkansas and then come back right before 2 a.m. because our, our dorms locked at 2. Um, <laughs> but it to me, it was just a fun time because that was just a way to you for you to get to interact with people. Um, in fact, one of my roommates, pretty much all through college, I think from my... He was a freshman. I was a sophomore. So my junior and senior year, he was my roommate, my junior and senior year. Um, his name's Jacob. He played bass in a punk band from Warren, Arkansas. There's nothing else in Warren, Arkansas except this little <laughs> punk band. Um, but you know, it's just stuff like that. Like we had, we had such fun and such energy with those things, and so it wasn't always hard. It wasn't always heavy. Sometimes it was really mellow and chill. Uh, bands like Juliana Theory. There's bands like Appleseed Cast. There was bands like Papa Known and Branson. There was, um, golly, I mean, I could. Go. I could go into a lot of it, but American football was uh, fantastic. And if you really want to get into the more mellow side of it, the guy from American football has a band called Owen, which is real like acoustic and chill. And so it wasn't always like the super heavy stuff, but you say some of these band names and people are like, uh, I don't know who that is. Um, well, it makes me sad as a lot of the bands that we played with and stuff. Cause this was like 2011 and 12. Yeah. Like that was before streaming was really a thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, they had physical CDs and it's like, I got some of those burned on my like iTunes, but not all of them. And there's, there's like no record of some of these bands. Did you do a lot of like Napster, LimeWire and things like that? No, I never really got into that. So I did a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I was able, so there's this, there was this one platform called SoulSeek. Uh, it was a little less known, but I was getting albums before they were released a lot of times uh and i mean golly even music 
music even got me my my place to live when I was in seminary. Like the guys that I lived with were all in a band and they were playing at like the door in Dallas and things like that. And they're like, dude, we have an extra room. You want to, yeah, for sure. Um, in fact, my roommate Wes is actually now the uh, stage manager for David Crowder band. And so <laughs> he's the one that, you know, tunes up all of his guitars, gets all those things ready. And when they need extra instrumentation, he jumps up on stage and fills it on piano or guitar or something like that. Super talented musician. The other guy that was roommates with me, um, Nate, Nate was a drummer. Nate was actually a teacher for a while, got teacher of the year, like in one of these schools up in the Dallas area. <laughs> uh, but now he works for his wife's dad and probably makes more money than I'll ever see in my lifetime. But you know, <laughs> uh, Nate was a great dude too. In fact, Wes, my friend had his own recording studio at his house. And so we'd go up there and record, but it was, it was stuff like that. That was always fun. I mean, you had this, like I said, this camaraderie that, that came through the music scene. And I think that that's some things that, especially in Christian culture today, can get lost pretty quick. Um, you don't see a lot of Christian underground music much anymore. I think that there's kind of, especially for the scene, to me, I feel like it has changed and you see a transition away from that. If you do have people that are in that boat, you see them kind of being pushed out um, but I wrote a paper on this in seminary, actually, in my cultures class, my youth cultures class. And it pretty much the paper said, if you want to know where youth cultures going in the next five to 10 years, look at underground music now. If you look at what underground music is doing now, you'll be able to see the trends, the apparel, the all this other stuff. So what do we see more popular now? We see a lot more um, digital, a lot more uh, ambiance, a lot more. Well, I mean, even in worship music now, it's really like all that, like Nathan said, ambiance and things like that. And that was already happening in underground music. It just finally crept its way into. Yeah. Lo-fi was popular years ago and now we're yeah. just kind of do the same thing just with a little less beat in worship music. Yeah. And so then you got in the underground, it's like, well, we're more synth driven and we're more like real lo-fi kind of, well, now what's crept up into contemporary worship or like modern worship music. So it's really interesting to me. And that's in youth culture. There's companies that make a killing off of uh, underground youth culture. I mean, a, a company that wants to know how to market to teenagers can pay this other research company millions of dollars and they have access to all this trend and all this data that they're collecting over the years of what teenagers are doing. So that was the hardest part, I think, about being in the scene is it always felt like there was just something to be marketed there. Um, but at the same time, you felt like you were a part of something that I think even to this day, people still have that relationship with. In fact, my buddy Jacob, my roommate, he sent me a text a couple weeks ago. He's like, hey, I feel like you're the only person that would really appreciate this, but I found this Copeland documentary on YouTube and it was real nostalgic. Thought you might love it. I got to watch it. Like Birdie was up until 2 a.m. So I was like, well, I'm going to watch Copeland <laughs> documentary. Um, but just remembering the shows at skate parks with Love Drug and Copeland. And then um, anyway, but yeah, so I played in a band too. We've You've seen the videos and it was terrible. But uh, <laughs> my buddy Tim and I, Tim was actually practicing drums to play with uh, one of his friends at cornerstone and he said hey i need some practice and i said man i'll just come play with you a little bit we'll just tote around and you can just play drums and kind of get some practice in 
I think our first practice, we ended up writing like two songs. Um, and then we practiced some more. We get in trouble a lot. Cops would get called on us because we played it at Annex and it was really loud. And some of the neighbors got mad. And so they'd be like, these kids are playing. So the cops would come in and grab us. But we played maybe like three shows. I think one was like a, a talent show at school. So it doesn't really count. <laughs> um, and then we played a couple shows and probably would have done a little bit more with it. But, you know, I think for Tim, he, he had focused his energy on some other stuff. He's a very talented musician, talented drummer. Uh, I'm mediocre at best. And so uh, he really, he really deserved to be playing somewhere that was a little more his speed. Um, and we had some friends that were wanting to do some more stuff and he was looking to play with them cause they'd lost their drummer anyway. So, but we, we had a band, we called it to Rob Italy. That was a fun one. And before that I was just doing stuff on my own with my little home computer. Uh, and then I remember playing with my friend Zach, we'd play some acoustic stuff and we had, uh, um, I think our band name was America's homecoming queen. That's what we, <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't wait. Cause I had it on a shirt from a thrift store. Cause that was half my apparel was at that time you didn't have skinny pants. And so it was, uh, girls jeans from American Eagle and then, <laughs> uh, thrift store shirts. Cause that was the scene stuff. I mean, that's how you. That's how you could fit into scene stuff. And then I was wearing Converse or some Vans or something like that normally. Um, so it, 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 was, it wasn't just like you had the music. You also had the whole like, you could see a, a dude walking down the street and go, yeah, that dude listens to cool music. And funny story on that. I was walking out of a Walmart in Fort Worth. I had my dad's old school Dickies work jacket, some skinny pants or some skinny to me pants, slim pants like a band shirt in the greeter at Walmart. Uh, kind of a shorter dude, had some tattoos, you know, a beard, messed up hair, obviously had just woke up and come to work, like didn't really want to be there, had on his vans and all this stuff. And he's like, hey, hey. I was like, yeah, what's up? He goes, come here. And so I'll go over and he's like, hey, I got a show tonight. Here's a flyer. It's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. I'll see if I can make it. <laughs> so, but I mean, you could tell, like you could tell who, who oh, was yeah. who. And uh, like, he's handing me these little black and white flyers that they obviously made on their computer with some like clip art, you know? Yep. And that was the fun part. Like there were so many little nuances to it that. Yeah, no, by the time, by the time I was in college and had been a part of that scene for a couple of years, like literally every t-shirt that I had was a band shirt. Oh yeah. And like a, a smaller, like I intentionally tried to wear bands that like, next to nobody knew about so i mean 37 archimedes watch out tiger (sighs) lily i still love that archimedes watch out album which one the first or second the first one well they're both good yeah but they they took the first one down you can't find it anywhere anymore i think i have it burned on a hard drive somewhere i did and then for some reason, like Apple's like locked me out of it and i'm really sad because i want to listen to it oh man archimedes watch out was so good the second one's good too but um, there's a couple songs on that first one. 37 was also fantastic. Yeah. So Dylan from 37 was the one who recorded REP. Yeah. Um, I remember it's like in his basement, it, right? Or something like that. Yeah. At least three different times, like after either 37 shows or our shows that they happened to be at, like we'd go to Whataburger or Denny's or wherever with them and just hang out till, you know, 2 a.m. or whatever. Moses and, was a neat dude. Yeah. Super cool guy. Wish I had kept in touch with him, but and what was the drummer's name? Was Brandon, right? Yeah, he was a phenomenal drummer. Golly, I mean, so all three good. of those guys are talented, but like 
he was ridiculously good. And for those of you who don't know, uh, when I was youth pastor here, we actually had 37 here twice. We had a Heroes Unnoticed twice. Uh, and then we had a couple of the bands show up. There was one show that I thought I was going to get fired over. And so after that, I did do more shows. But Was that the one with Dead Words? Yeah. There was like four other bands that came in from like the Tyler area. Yeah. And they were terrible, but there was just some stuff that happened and I was like, I'm going to get fired if I try to do this again. Did hoodlums come to that one? Maybe. They're the ones that were known for throwing trash cans in, in rooms. They, that sounds like them. Yeah. 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 Dead words. So I found out about dead words from youth camp. Um, really? So I went to youth camp and we were, we were with another church in man's Burleson. We were with the church in Burleson and the guys, and I, we were talking about music. I was talking about music with some of the youth kids and they were like, oh yeah, well, we listen to blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, I mean, that's cool. I said, yeah, we had, we had 37 in like, like a month back. And they're like, you had 37 in? I was like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, that's so cool. I was like, well, I mean, I grew up on that stuff. Like my best friend, the best man at my wedding was the original vocalist for Take It Back. And they're like, you know, Zach. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, he's my best friend. So, I mean, it was, it was things like that, that you could, to me, seeing music stretched across like your small group and it could go to any area. Uh, and you could usually pick up some sort of relationship through that. And, uh, a lot of these bands too, I mean, they would come into your town, they had nowhere to sleep. You know, they'd just be like, Hey, (laughs) I mean, I remember in the middle of the show, they'd be like, Hey, we're so glad we're here. Uh, we need a place to sleep tonight. So if any of you guys have like a bet, like a floor of your living room that we can sleep on, that'd be cool. Yeah. So people would open their home and be like, yeah, come sleep at our house. You know, I mean, it was whenever we played our show in Lubbock that happened, like we didn't have a place to stay. We were all just going to like sleep in the the van that we were in yeah. that night because we had nowhere to stay and didn't make enough money to pay for a hotel. And um, the the show was just at a house, a house show. And yeah. the owners were like, hey, y'all want to like crash on our floor? And they were kind of creepy looking dudes um like covered in tattoos yeah Uh, one guy was like massive and the other guy was skinny as a rail and like seven feet tall um (laughs) they were just interesting people and i was kind of scared too but the rest of the band was like yeah and uh (laughs) we woke up and they were like cooking us breakfast burritos and it was just like this insane amount of hospitality that it's like you don't see this in any other scene oh yeah maybe we're coming up on an hour, but maybe this could be a place to land the plane, although it might open up a whole can of worms for discussion. Um, so I get the camaraderie aspect of what you're talking about. Yeah. Like there was a thing where you see someone in so-and-so's band t-shirt and like you're just instantly friends or whatever. Yeah. Um, I had that happen multiple times. Um, like you said, the bands weren't thinking they were too cool or distant and it's probably because, you know, they knew that they weren't like, you know, rock stars yet, but um, I get the camaraderie aspect. There was a certain level of hospitality in the scene that, you know, I don't think you see many other places. Yeah. Um, but for someone who is listening to us and they don't know a single one of these <laughs> bands, sorry, they say they've paused this and they're like listening to some of the bands that we're talking about and they're like, what the heck is this? <laughs> um, especially on like the angrier side of things. Yeah. Right they went and listened to Devil Wars Prada or, you know, whoever's screaming that I mentioned. Yeah. How, how do you make sense um, maybe of the appeal to this music theologically, 
psychologically. Like, I mean, I know family members that when I got into this, they were like, like, why are you so angry? Yeah. Or like, are you sad? Or like, you know, what's the sort of emotional state behind this that that you find this appealing? Yeah. So for me, like, um, when you and when you look at music history throughout especially rock music throughout the years. I mean, I remember when Elvis was a big thing. We don't even think about Elvis being controversial now, but back when he was first coming on the scene, you know, a, a dude on stage playing guitar and gyrating all over the place yeah, moving to, his woo, hips. to woo women. It was like, <gasps> my daughter's a, a, a terrible, you know, for, <laughs> and it's just like, now we look at it as like, man, Elvis was a great musician. You know, um, when the Beatles were coming into America, and the way that they overpowered the teenage culture at that time, I'm sure parents were like, let's boycott that because that's going to be an influence to our kids. Um, you have the rise of, like you said, kind of classic rock, more 60s, 70s rock coming out of that hippie era, that hippie stage, you know, Jimi Hendrix, things like that. And it's like Woodstock. You're like, oh, I can't believe my kid would be wooed into this cult, you know? So I think that like previous generations look at it as a terrible thing. The generation that's in it goes, no, this is just, it speaks to where I'm at right now. I mean, I get that, but I think there's something different about punk and metal. That's so, like, yeah. So even angrier. If or, we look back, that's where, if we look back at the origins and you go back to the, to the middle to late eighties coming off of the hills of like Iggy pop and like Ramones and things like that. Um, back in the eighties, cause Ramones are probably one of the more famous punk bands that people would be like, Oh yeah, the Ramones, you know, um, but coming into the 80s, you had kind of this trend in D.C., California, and certain other areas of hardcore punk. Um, and Black I know this flag. from my research page. Yeah, so like uh, Black Flag, you had... Uh, 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 it wasn't Minor Threat that was coming in through that. You had uh, Bad Brains that was coming in in that time. And a lot of this was anti-establishment. They didn't believe... A lot of them were had a huge distrust of Ronald Reagan at that time. Um, and I mean, we can see that even in political spectrums now that there's still a lot of political, um, turmoil that goes on and that there's generations that speak out against that. This group just did it through this way. So at the time they said in one of the documentaries I watched that, uh, the issue that they had was you had this weird kind of preppy trend of like, everybody's wearing like pop collar button ups and it's all like this really preppy look that was going on on college campuses throughout high schools. And it was all like this eighties hair bands and all this kind of uh, permed out pop music and stuff like that. And these guys were like, we hated it. We just hated all of that. It was not appealing to us. And so they would do these kind of hardcore bands, these hardcore shows uh, and hardcore punk is what they called it. And out of that, you had bands all over the place that were forming and doing, and they were exploring different ways to do music. They were not doing things polished. I mean, they were just saying, hey, how many chords can we fit and how many, like how fast can we make it? And that was kind of their goal. Um, you, you do have a lot of mis, misconceptions that come with this, um, but really it came out of just this angst of we, we don't, feel like we are suburban white kids that listen to this music. And so a lot of it came from that. Then it kind of transitioned where even the, the lead guy from minor threat, he transitioned into Fugazi, which kind of is, we consider to be more of like the birth mother of emo. Um, but you have grunge music that's coming in around that time too. So you just kind of saw this trend away from this more poppy, 
um, happy-go-lucky, everything sunshine and roses um, to no, like things are things in my life are actually falling down and falling around me. Um, so I think in terms of like transitioning that into where I was in high school, I can't say that I was an angry kid growing up. Um, I was very much trying to figure out life. I was very much trying to figure out my place in all of this. Um, and you got to think as a, as a Christian in the 1990s in youth group, you had what you had Sonic flood, you had Amy Grant, you had, um, Michael W. Smith still, you had casting crowns, you had, and just me, me personally, it was boring. Like, and I, again, I would much rather listen to a hymn any day of the week, but this was music that pushed the boundaries musically. It pushed the boundaries lyrically. It spoke in more artistic abstract concepts than it did. And it made you a little bit think outside the box too. That's how my brain works though. To me personally, that's how I think outside the box. I'm not one of those like, Oh, the book says do this. Let me do what the book says. I'm one of those like, how can we reinvent? How can we redo? How can we this? And we've seen it to where that music at that time was trending so much that you had bands in mainstream like Blink-182, Good Charlotte, Brand New, all of these bands that, which I wouldn't consider Good Charlotte, but all these bands that were popping up and you're going, oh my gosh. And then I'm sure parents at that time were like, I can't believe you would listen to that. It's what it is. It's music. I'm sure that, you know, when my dad was listening to classic rock back in the day, I'm sure his parents were like, what have we raised? You know, um, yeah. when people were listening to Elvis back in the day, <gasps> you know, and so it's always going to be that I think, but I think for me, the appeal was this and, and I, this music literally saved my life. And I think that's why it's such a draw to me. I don't think that I would have found the Christian friendships and the Christian brotherhood that I had as believers in Jesus had it not been for this music. I don't think that I would have chosen the same path that I'm on now had it not been for music. Um, so there's an interesting parallel here where like 99% of contemporary Christian music, um, and it's even in calling it contemporary, it's like, what do we mean by that? Cause it, if you mean fluid. anything from like the nineties till today, yeah, like that's the equivalent of saying like Led Zeppelin to Nirvana was all the same yeah. style of music. And it's clearly not, you can't have three decades of music and it's the same thing. Yeah. But I think that term is fluid, but any, any Christian music that's written like post being a hymn, yeah. um, almost all of it's happy, joyful, like we're talking about love and peace and fruits of the spirit that are genuinely good things. But what I find so interesting is if you actually read through the Psalms, like just read straight through them, Uh I can't remember the exact percentage from my seminary class, but it's something like three quarters of them are laments. Yeah. Like they're sad. Yeah. They're real about struggle. Like, David and the other people who wrote Psalms, like they kind of complained a lot yeah. about the hardships of life. Yeah. And I think one of the things, cause like at least half the bands we've mentioned are Christian bands or were Christian bands. Yeah. And I think one of the things that there was a void 
in Christian music was acknowledging harder things. Yeah. Acknowledging that pain and anger and some of the the emotional spectrum that we in our Western society try to shut off or ignore, or just pretend like everything's happy all the time. Yeah. Like I think for the people that did get into that music, myself included, it's like this was an outlet, not in an unhealthy way, but just in a like, oh, I can acknowledge that some things in this world are messed up and broken. Um, some things in myself are messed up and broken. And like, here's a place for sadness. Here's a place mm-hmm. for anger. Here's a place for angst. Um, yeah. Not in an immoral way, but just in a healthy acknowledging of the emotions yeah. in a way that I think is biblical. I mean, like we have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations yeah. about lamenting, about yeah. being sad. <laughs> and it's like, if if we were going to write like a contemporary Christian album, and it's like, all right, let's write an album where every song is a sad song. Yeah. It's like, it would, it no would not one, sell. No yeah. One no one wants to hear to that. that. But I mean, I mean, maybe they would, but. It's not going to be a bestseller or anything. You take that same album and you put some chugging guitars in it, like some some drop A tuning and some real thick, heavy stuff. People would be like, this this hits hard, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, both of our wives are counselors. Yeah. And and sometimes I want to be like, what's is there something wrong with me that I'm still liking this music (laughs) even when I'm like, you know, emotionally in a good place now? But but I think it's interesting because I think there's I think there's a lack of acknowledging the full spectrum of emotions in life within Christian music. Well, and I think that there's a lack of acknowledgement when it even comes to music. Um, but I mean, that's a whole nother take that we could get on about um, the way that Christians close themselves off to music in general. Um, and the way that we can tend to, now there are certain music things I just stay away from. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, lyrics that are really misogynistic. Like I don't like even country songs. There's a lot of country songs that, that are degrading to women that are degrading to self. And I, I don't really, I, I can't get into that. Like I can't like even the whole part about like drunkenness and things like that, smoking weed. I, I just, I don't, I can't personally get into that. I feel like for me, that's a boundary that I've, I've created when it comes to, but that has more to do music. with content than any genre. Like yeah. you're saying like that could be metal, that could be country, like either yeah. way, but it's yeah. about the lyrics. Like if there's a band that like, like even some of the classic rock stuff, when they start talking about things, I'm like, man, I don't know. Like I just can't, like I feel gross listening to some of that oh, stuff. Yeah. But then when it comes to like certain things where it's just like, like there's a band that was predominantly in the Christian world that we were like, oh my gosh, well, we maybe we can close out here. Um, That through their, through their, through their playing like under oath, through their playing and through their doing, they started off in this great Christian scene. You could hear these great things from them, but these last albums that they've come out with, they've, they've explicitly said in their albums, we felt like the Christian community abandoned us because they didn't like the struggles we were going through. I mean, you're talking about, there was some drug addiction in there. There was divorce that was in there. There was all these things going on in this band and they said what essentially what happened was once one of these little things happened, the whole Christian community shunned us because of the struggles we were going through, trying to keep things together, family together, keep touring, keep playing, keep people happy. You know, people wanted to be happy with us, but they, they didn't want to accept us um, and our struggles. And they said, fine then. And so they've literally abandoned a lot of that practice of that faith and said, it, who cares anymore? Like, we're just going to write what we want. And you can hear that. 
a lot of their angst now in their music is directly related towards those that said they would always be there for them, but then left them when they needed them. And so I think that, you know, as Christians, that's something we have to be aware of is that, yeah, there's going to be people that struggle in our church like that yesterday they may have looked fine, but today they are at their end and we need to make sure that we're there for them. We need to make sure that if they are going through something, we don't just go, Oh, that's too much for me to handle. You know, you're going to figure that out on your own. Um, don't come into our church anymore because you know, people already feel bad enough as it is. Why make them feel worse? Um, so anyway, I mean, we could, we could probably talk hours and hours because we didn't even really get into like shows. But anyway, <laughs> like we talked a little bit about them, but even like our coolest anyway. So if you want to know more about music, you can always sit with me and Travis. We can talk to you about our experiences in music. And if you have questions about music genres, I mean, by all means, um, of course, now most of you that are listening, you're probably solidified into what you're going to listen to in music and that's fine. Um, but if you ever have questions or concerns about our mental health based off some <laughs> of the bands that you've been listening to, um, we're open books. So just come talk to us. I mean, uh, we'll be honest with you about our, our walk with Jesus and how uh, music has been a part of that walk. And um, yeah, so again, any questions, comments, concerns, anything that you guys have, um, please, please, please let us know and we'll do our best to try to answer things as we can. But other than that, hope you have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.